Welcome to another episode of Jackman Radio, and this is the final episode of our four uh, episodes leading up to the 19th anniversary of September 11th, and we are very excited to be joined by our friend, filmmaker, producer, writer, director, um, just all-around great guy, Dylan Avery. Dylan, how you doing, man? Hey, buddy. How you doing? Doing well, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, of course, it's been quite a ride since we, uh, since we first met, I think back in, God, 2004 or five on like a, uh, one of your websites or, or a message board, I think, or probably 2006. Cause we didn't start really like taking off and reaching out with people until then, unless you were like first edition crew. But I mean, I don't think we really connected until you guys were getting out there with student scholars. Um, so I want to say 2006. Yeah, it was oh five or six. It had to have been somewhere around. My there. earliest memories of him are being Enigs on AIM Instant Messenger. Oh yes, yeah. yes. Good old, old Enigs, instant, yeah. good old yeah. Instant Messenger. That was the like, return well, tell handle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's crazy, man. We're we're on the eve of the nineteenth anniversary of nine eleven, and um, you know, we talked to Michelle Little the other night, and always great to talk to her. Of course, it's very sobering when you talk to somebody who actually lost a loved one on that day. And it just seems like the further and further we get away from nine 11 and, and you know, the generations that are coming up now, they just read about it, a paragraph about it in a history book or one day out of the year, it's a meme that says never forget. But obviously for guys like us and Michelle and a lot of, there's still a lot of other people out there who are concerned and care about it and it impacts their lives. So, um, I guess, you know, the, the start off, Dylan, how are you feeling right now, 19 years afterwards and, and where, where we've come with everything? Um, I'm all right, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, I guess I might feel differently tomorrow. Um, but today, it, I don't know, it kind of, it doesn't feel like tomorrow is 9-11, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, there's just, there's just so much shit going on in the world right now. Like, I don't know, like everyone will make their token pieces tomorrow and do their, their token retrospectives. But I don't know, the, the world is just in such disarray and especially America is in such disarray that, uh, I don't think it's on a lot of people's radar. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's true. Everything that's, that's happened, uh, this year has certainly been a year like no other, um, but still a lot that happened, you know, on the day of nine 11 and, and, you know, from that day, including the wars and just, um, you know, our surveillance state, the Patriot act, Afghanistan, um, it's still, it's still relevant. And it's, it's crazy to think now we're 15 years, uh, over 15 years now from the release of the original loose change. And well, uh, I, I thought it was April of 2005. April 2005. Yes. So we are. Oh yeah. So 15. Oh yeah. Wow. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So we're like 15 and a half (laughs) years. Yeah. No, that's fine. And uh, yeah, I was reading the, uh, there was a big uh, Esquire piece about loose change about you and Jason Burmis. And uh, have you had a chance to read that yet? Nope. Not going to. I don't blame you. I have better things to do with my time and that shit's just going to depress me more than 9-11 usually does. So I'm, I'm good on that. All All right. all I've been, you know, 
it's uh it's a good idea to avoid self-harm <laughs> so i think i will be avoiding that article um i mean it's just funny man like the movie came out 15 years ago and here are people still writing about it and trying to blame like everything that's wrong with the internet now on me it's like motherfuckers like i made four movies about 9-11 between 2005 and 2009 and then i disappeared and i have not commented like positive or negative on any of the shit that's happened since then like sandy hook boston bombing like all this shit that like alex jones really proliferated like i haven't said a fucking thing about it and yet somehow it's my fault that all these things are going on like what about QAnon? like what about all these other crazy subcultures of the internet that have popped up i mean i don't think it's fair to say that it's all my fault or one movie's fault and if it is then God damn, man, people are really easy to influence then if one silly little movie on the internet is enough to do all this damage. So I don't know. I mean, from Burma's, and that's kind of what I expected, is that Burma's kind of filtered through the main points that I should be aware of. And one of them is that, because Burma's said to me, it's just like, yeah, I mean, because I said to him, I was just like, you know, I, I kind of assumed from the start that he was going to just try to basically blame everything that's wrong with the internet now on loose change. And Burmese's response is like, yeah, well, it sounds like he started that article like that and then quickly had to abandon it. Because, um, again, like, how how is this my fault? <laughs> like, there are so many things going on on the Internet and in subcultures that I just do not agree with and that I'm just not particularly a fan of. Like, I don't know. I don't I don't think it's fair to blame me for everything that's going on right now i mean especially considering what the president has had to say for the last you know almost four years so yeah i mean you were a 22 year old kid basically when you 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 know made the movie you know jesus christ like if you if every if every filmmaker was holding into account for a film they made i mean james cameron never worked again if we held piranha 2 up to him you know or or uh I don't know. Maybe that's a bad comparison. No, I mean it's. You know, you, you know what I'm saying. And, and no, I, just, I do. It's I, it's like classic mockingbird uh, media tactics to try and um, smear or attack someone who's who's trying to find the truth. And well, not even that. I mean, going broader than that. Um, you know, I I spend a good amount of time once in a while on TV tropes, uh, the website. It's it's you know kind of been a while, but I've been back on there the last couple of days just thinking about asteroid, the film we just shot, and you know, and just. I don't know, this weird time period that I find myself in where I don't really know how that's going to work out. And at the same time, it's, you know, the 19th anniversary of 9-11 and all this stuff is going on. But, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, to for your first film to be so successful and then to for it to be so successful in a way that you never anticipated because, you know, again, to reiterate, I was just making this movie mostly for myself. Like, I wasn't really expecting it to go on the internet and go viral. It just kind of happened. So... I think it's the same kind of thing where if you're <clears throat> if you're not careful or if you're not handed the right opportunities afterwards or whatever, um, <clears throat> it's really easy to get like typecast and pigeonholed. You know, if you have a really successful first film, and then you also, for the rest of your career and the rest of your life, have the shadow of that first film uh, constantly cast over you. So. I don't know. The good thing is that Loose Change was a documentary. So, you know, however my first narrative film is received, you know, it's somewhat of a clean start for me. So I do have that to look forward to. But I don't know. I 
you know, the, the main thing that I always took away from loose change is that a lot of people watch it and they're like, well, you may not agree with it, but you know, you do have to say it's a well-made film. So I do have that going for it. So now if people could just understand that I can apply those talents to making actual movies and things that, you know, can hopefully make studios money, then, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you know, where else it took you, Dylan, it took you to a place in New York city with a former independent governor telling you how much you ruined my fucking life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ruined my life, Dylan. Yeah, join the fucking club, Jesse. That was uh, that was cool though. That was that was a cool cool moment for for those listening. I introduced Dylan to Jesse Ventura when I interviewed him back in 2016, and I said, uh, "Governor Ventura, this is Dylan Avery, the creator of Loose Change." He said, "You are <laughs> like a pirate almost." He meant it lovingly though when he said that you ruined his life. He he meant that I think lovingly. Well, but you know what? You know, you know what, Dewan? You know what? I, I can David relate. David Lynch, David Lynch and Kevin Smith had very nice things to say about Lucy. David Lynch, like that's one that a lot of people have forgotten, but I actually think about that often. I'm like, wow, Dude. fucking David Lynch gave me props. Like God, man. Yeah. But that's that's the thing that makes it so frustrating because it's like I have the acclaim of all these like really esteemed people in the industry and yet like I can't get a meeting i can't get a budget for a film and it's like it's really bizarre it's like a weird place to exist in where like all these really respected people in the industry you know respect what i did and like even alec like after we did the podcast you know he was like you know a lot of people in hollywood think you're a hero it's like well i really hope that they can prove it when my first narrative comes out and people hopefully see that you know i can actually make movies i don't know i don't mean to keep going back to that but you know i spent my whole life wanting to make a narrative and i just did it last month so it's pretty exciting absolutely man better late than never you know it's 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 weird where life takes you you know it's uh but you know film is such a powerful medium and and to connect it to today i don't really think a film like loose change could break through today man because of the blatant and utter censorship of the last few years um you can't even have um you couldn't have a movie like jfk today um well because, I don't, because i don't think it's just the censorship not to cut you off but i yeah. think that just everything is just so fast paced now. Like things were already kind of amping up in 2005, 2006, you know, with the 24 hour news cycle and everyone was starting to own iPhones uh, and smartphones in general were really starting to take off. So it's just a completely different world now. And the problem is like you have so many quote conspiracies and you have so many things that so many people are questioning uh, at every minute of the day that it's hard to keep up. And I mean, even, even like plandemic, like remember plandemic, Mm. you know, (laughs) that was a big meme for a while. Well, and again, (laughs) not that long long, though, but it was, but everyone was watching it. Everyone was talking about it. And like two weeks later it was gone. And like, I don't hear anybody talking about it now. Mm. Whereas with Loose Change, like, we basically, like, dominated the entire year of 2006. Like, we were fucking everywhere. Like, people aren't still talking about Plandemic. No. You know, a a month or two or however long it's been since that came out. I can't even remember at this point. Um, Compared to, again, Loose Change, like, where people literally were talking about us all year in 2006. They're just, the attention span just isn't there. And there's so much more to wade through. And so many more things that are vying for your attention that how how do you go viral and even then like how do you do it in a way where you last more than a couple of weeks right yeah it's totally different i mean and, and you're right you got i mean it was a perfect storm though dylan there was the, 2006 was the year for 9-11 truth that, that's that was the fifth anniversary in new york city we were all there um the events at cooper union you know you had 
the 9-11 commission had come out in 04, so it was still fairly recent and the, all those lies were still being dissected and picked apart. And you had, you had a lot, you had a lot of crossover of, of, of uh, family members, first responders, um, survivors, um, regular citizens, you know, some of the, I, you know, I hate to say it, but some of the celebrity voices, they always bring attention to issues, whether it's Mark Ruffalo or uh, Daniel, Daniel Sanjata Tiger or Char- Blood. Charlie yeah, Sheen, Mr. Tiger Blood himself. <sighs> but, um, but yeah, you're right. Now uh, the attention span is so friggin' short now that it's it's. Uh, that's why we this week we just figured the best thing to do was just to release, you know, thirty thirty five minute podcasts going into areas of nine eleven that are not really given a lot of um, a lot of really uh, credible or intelligent coverage in the mainstream media or at all. Yeah, my, my, my friend who I, I told Dylan we were having you on tonight, he, he wanted me to ask you. He said, well, I said, if you could ask Dylan Avery something, what would you ask him? And he said, well, all these years later, what is one of the main problems with the 9-11 story and narrative that he highlighted in his original film that sticks and still stands and that is still a huge problem with the story? Like if you had to point somebody who doesn't know a lot about the problems with 9-11 in a direction, what's one of the things, Dylan, you would talk about and, and, and what direction would you point them in? Well, I guess it really depends on what kind of person I'm talking to. Because if it's somebody that's kind of already open to it and is, you know, at least willing to have a, a conversation to, you know, to entertain the idea, then I would lead with Building 7. Uh, if I'm going for someone that's a little bit more middle of the road, someone a little bit more skeptical, I would just go with the 9-11 Commission and how much of a whitewash it was. Um, <clears throat> you know, at the end of the day, despite the fact that, you know, groups like the Jersey girls are very vocal supporters of organizations like architects and engineers for nine 11 truth. And it's funny, like working on the seven documentary, I was going back through the NIST technical briefing that they had uh, a couple of days after the release of the NIST report on building seven and a large amount of the questions being asked are being asked by the Jersey girls, by Lori Van Alken, by Mindy Kleinberg, etc. Like the Jersey girls were on this ass about building seven and they like, they didn't lose anyone in building seven. Like their husbands were both killed in the collapse of the twin towers. So for, I think at least three, four of the questions that were posed at the technical briefing by NIST for building seven for the report, the fact that so many of the questions came from the Jersey girls to me speaks volumes. Cause it says like, look, I mean, these people, like these widows have no emotional stake in the collapse of building seven. They have no reason to technically care about it. And yet here they are submitting questions to NIST for their report. Like that speaks volumes to me. So it, you know, it, it really depends. Like building set, if we're, if we're really talking about an aspect of nine 11 and less about something about nine 11 in general, then yes, building seven, just because that's pretty much the easiest thing to lead with. Um, and then from there, you know, it filters down to the nine 11 commission and NIST and the fact that they didn't actually explain how the twin towers came down. Um, you know, things like that. Yeah, I know the, the Jersey girls for, for people who are listening, who maybe aren't familiar were the uh, widows, um, all their husbands died in the World Trade Center towers, like Dylan said. And uh, a really great starter film. If you haven't seen Loose Change or you want to look at other, I mean, there's there's crossover information, but 9-11 Press for Truth um, is another great 9-11 documentary that I would strongly recommend. You can watch it for free on YouTube. Um, and it's just the story the of the family members trying to fight the government to even get an investigation in the first place. And like Dylan said, a lot of the information that's out there from the so-called 9-11 truth movement started from the, 
you know, people like the Jersey girls and family members just asking questions about what happened to their loved ones. And it got so contorted and twisted and, um, you know, spun by the media that now anyone who, who said that is just called a conspiracy theorist and just classic, you know, BS like that. So, you know, I think there's, there's still a lot of family members who, who, uh, you know, have questions and, and um, obviously, you know, as time goes on, they, they want they have to, of course, get on with life and, and time, has a way of passing by but there's still so much of it that hasn't been uh hasn't really been accounted for i would agree with you on that and so speaking of building seven dylan um you do have a new film that you're working on that is called seven and uh why don't you tell us a little bit about that sure uh seven is a almost feature-length documentary it's right now about 50 minutes might come in a little bit closer to 51 52 um but it centers primarily around the uh, University of Fairbanks, Alaska study by Professor Leroy Halsey. Uh, it's a four-year, multi-hundred-thousand-dollar study um, that was tasked with looking into the collapse of Building 7 and uh, what Professor Halsey's theories might be uh, regarding, to the build, regarding the building's collapse. Um, so, uh, yeah, we filmed in uh, Alaska. You know, we filmed in Fairbanks for two days, we uh, filmed in a weekend over um, in the Bay Area in San Francisco and Berkeley. So we interviewed uh, three engineers, uh, Roland Engel, Kamalo Bade, and Scott Granger. Um, those are the three engineers uh, in the Bay. And then we spent two days with Leroy in, the, in Fairbanks. And uh, it's, you know, it's both a documentary about the collapse of Building 7 and also about the study. Um, I mean, originally it was supposed to be focused just on the study, but, you know, as we got into editing, you started working on it, you know, and they started talking about it more and people were kind of expecting more things from it. You know, we decided to not broaden the scope per se because I didn't want to rehash everything that's been said about it. I mean, there are, there are obviously some things in there that, you know, people have heard about before, but, you know, trying to approach it in a way that was different, um, you know, we thankfully not only have the lens of three incredibly, you know, smart engineers, but we also have Professor Halsey, who's a different kind of person than I think people are used to seeing, especially when it comes to 9-11. Um, you know, he's, he's an esteemed professor, um, like the stamp of University of Alaska Fairbanks is on the front page of his report. Like it's for all intents and purposes endorsed by university. So they understood the controversy going into it and yet they still agreed to allow him to do it. And in the end have endorsed his study, which I think speaks volumes. Um, they're a serious engineering college, you know, like they have a massive like 10, $12 million brand new building with a high bay facility where students can build airplane wings and two story buildings and all kinds of stuff. So the place is no joke. Um, and Leroy's no joke, you know, he's a really nice guy. Um, and I, I felt cause I had filmed a presentation of his in, uh, in Berkeley in September of last year. So I'd already kind of met him and encountered him, but I was just there to film his speech and go back home. So after spending some time with him in Fairbanks, you know, I felt like I really got to know him. And that was kind of part of my thing with this too, is like, I'm just, I, and a lot of people I would imagine are sick of just standard talking head documentaries, especially when it comes to nine 11. So I really tried to approach this in a way where we didn't have to do that the whole time. I mean, there's obviously talking head sections and, you know, we have, you know, a bunch of sit down interviews at the end of the day, but I really tried as much as I can to break those things up and to approach the material in a way that people I hope are not expecting, you know, is at least 
you know, uh, at the end of the day, I hope if nothing else, it's the most professionally produced 9-11 truth documentary. And, you know, we'll see. <laughs> That's exciting. I can't wait to see it, Dylan. And uh, we, you did bring a, a clip for us. Uh, why don't you cue up the clip and, and then we'll, we'll react. Sure. So, uh, so this clip is, um, it comes in uh, after Leroy has decided to do the study. He's gone to New York City. He's gotten some background info on Building 7 and its collapse. Uh, and so he's come back to Alaska. He's starting a study and uh, he's dipping his toes in the subject by giving a presentation to his students. For Holsey, who's in his 70s, and this happened like over 10 years ago now, but over 10 years ago when this happened, I was in second grade, so I'm going to be living with implications of this for a much longer time. I don't trust what's been said on either sides fully, so that's why I'm really interested in the actual scientific uh, reasoning behind all of it. If fire caused Building 7 to collapse, it would be the first ever induced collapse of a steel frame building, high-rise building due to fire. If, if you imagine these white lines right here are vertical and you can see as you look at it that the structure is basically coming down as a straight line. It's amazing how straight it's dropping. So it kind of indicates there was no resistance to the drop. In two, December 2007 it was acknowledged in the advisory committee meeting of NIST that the fires in WTC7 were ordinary office fires and burned out in a given location about 20 minutes. Basically, they said that fire caused expansion contraction of enough movement that the bearings that this girder sat on that supported that column moved off the bearing system and it caused the column to drop. We're creating a virtual building when we're going to simulate its behavior due to the conditions that we're going to give it. So that's the approach. I'm taking the worst condition, I'm going to look at the best condition. Right now I'm looking at the worst. And if I can't make it do what everybody else said it did with the worst, then it didn't happen. I apologize, I had to run through it, but I wanted to get it done by 1.45, and we made it. Okay. Yeah. I've definitely seen the whole free fall that we were talking about. I mean, it's unsymmetrical, and then you take the one beam out and it just collapses in a, a complete straight parallel path, which is, really fishy. <laughs> there was a report on it, and then they said that the, the fire shouldn't have, it, it, it took it down, the fire took it down, but we don't know why it did. Like all the, all the columns failed all at once. It, it didn't add up. So did the presentation change anything about how you felt about uh, the World Trade Centers and World Trade Center 7? Wow. So, so in that clip, we saw a reaction from, from a gal there who going into it wasn't so convinced. And then she, she saw it in, you know, the, the, the um, presentation and was, you know, or, you know, talking about it and now she's changed her mind. So that's, you get that reaction from some people who've never seen the collapse, you know? Yeah. And I think that, you know, going off of what she said, like she was pretty familiar with it and she knew that there were two sides to the argument, but after watching Professor Halsey's presentation, she's like, okay, yeah, now I, now I get it. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, when people are presented with evidence they haven't seen or a different explanation, um, it makes them, it makes them think, you know, it makes them think. And, uh, oh, Eric, yeah, did you? Yeah. So Dylan, so if the professor was asked point blank, like, do you believe Trade Center 7 was demolished by explosions or explosives. 
his answer would be yes. I, that's, that's what I conclude no. or no, his answer would be, I can't tell you that because I don't know. All I can tell you is what didn't happen and what didn't okay. happen is NIST's official explanation. What he does say is that in order for the building to have collapsed in the manner that it did, um, you basically need to sever the interior columns uh, across eight stories. And then 1.3 seconds later, something like that, then you sever all the exterior columns and then the building comes straight down. So he is for all intents and purposes saying that the building needs to be imploded, but he does not, go mm. so far as to say that it was imploded, it was a controlled demolition, et cetera, which I think is really smart of him. And is yes. actually, it was actually one of the reasons why I was kind of excited to do this because it's not what people expect. And I, he, he stopped short of giving the easy answer and giving the easy soundbite, which mm. is like, well, obviously it was a controlled demolition. Like, you know, at the end of the day, that's not his job. His job is right. to simply say what, would have caused the building to collapse from an engineering standpoint. Um, and I think he does a very good job of doing that. Um, and that, yeah, that's again, that's one of the things I like about it because at the end of the day, his study doesn't conclude by saying building seven was blown up and nine 11 was an inside job and all this stuff. He's right. just like all that rhetoric. Um, it's just a very sober and clear, concise scientific approach to the building seven. Yes. Which is what we need. Yes. So he, he did exactly what he needed to do. And I applaud him for that. Right. And another aspect of building seven too, Dylan, um, that's always kind of stuck with me since you released it was your interview with Barry Jennings, who was actually trapped inside building seven with another fellow, uh, Michael Hess. Um, you know, your time with Barry Jennings, he, he really, I mean, just watching the footage, your interview that you released and you released the raw footage, he really seemed to, to question the official explanation for the collapse, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he sure did. And I, I unfortunately think that he passed away without getting the closure that he deserved. But um, yeah, I don't know. That's a touchy subject. Yeah. We don't have to go into it, but I, I would encourage folks who are listening, if they're curious or interested in more information on that, just, you know, YouTube Barry Jennings, World Trade Center 7. And, uh, you know, he appeared in the BBC documentary. Uh, he was, in, I think he was in Final Cut. Or he was not. He he asked for his interview to be removed from it. Right. Family was getting harassed and he was getting calls at his job. Yeah. Uh, you can thank a certain uh radio show host in Texas for that. But um Yeah. Um yeah, no, it was uh it was American Coup where I finally used it. Oh, American Coup, okay. Yeah. And and there was another clip which um I've never seen the entire clip, but it's it's I believe it's after both uh twin towers have collapsed. It's a guy running outside of Building Seven and running into it, and there's another guy in there, and they're and they're talking about how um, I think we're the last ones in here, and you should get out of here. Have you have you seen that whole clip? Yeah, I've got I've got all the raw footage. It's in the NIST Cumulus uh, dub, but um, yeah, it's uh, I think he was a member of the Secret Service, and he was just basically yep. like a sweep. He was a Secret Service guy. Yeah, because at that point, um, the lobby windows had been smashed out either by the collapses or by people trying to get out or get in. Um, but yeah, the building was basically locked down and you know, windows had been smashed and he was just inside in the lobby, which was obviously all dusted out. Um, I think just doing a sweep, just making sure everybody was out. And Building 7 was also where the Office of Emergency Management in New York City had their uh, basically high-rise bunker i mean it was it was on the 21st floor where giuliani had his operation center 
I want to say 23rd floor. 23rd. I, I used to have that memorized, and I apparently don't anymore, but I'm pretty sure. I think sure you're right, a, Dylan. I think it's I think 23rd. It was, I think it was 23rd. the 23rd floor. Yeah. Okay. 23rd floor. So, well, we're really looking forward to it, Dylan. And, and um, uh, what else you got uh, in the pipeline? You've got the – you mentioned you have your first feature – and uh, are you in the middle of editing that now or what's, uh, what's we going are on? in farther than the middle of editing it. We've actually got about 70, 75 minutes put together. So um, by the end of next week, we should have like an actual first cut of the film. And I mean, granted it's a first cut, so we got to go in and polish and clean up. And, but that's the thing is like after the first cut, like all the grunt work has been done, like takes have been selected, stuff has been put together. And so from there we just tighten it up. But um. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty pretty pleased with what I've seen so far. I mean, first you know, first no budget independent feature films can be shit shows and I mean, we definitely encountered our share of challenges and we definitely uh definitely could have used more time and more money, but I mean, at the end of the day, we got a movie. So it definitely uh, could have gone much worse. We could have got we could have gotten half the movie and everyone could have quit and, you know, people could have been miserable, but I mean, it's honestly it was probably like the best set I've ever been on, which is weird because it was mine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the cast and crew were really pleased. Like everyone was there and put in a hundred percent and they were like, I, you know, this is a no budget independent movie, but I think it's actually going to be really good. So we'll find out soon enough. We got to get a cut together and start submitting it to festivals and show it to a couple of salespeople. We got our producer out in LA, Jeff Miller, who has the ability to show shop it around. We got a couple of connections that have kind of called first dibs on it. So, We'll see. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where it could either languish and take forever to get out, or it could come out like very quickly. Because I mean, there are certain things in the story that would make a, a distribution company want to jump on it and get it out uh, asap, as opposed to uh, having to wait. So we'll see. That's awesome. And so, uh, in closing, when when do you think we can expect uh, seven? That's obviously not out in time for this anniversary, but uh any 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 hint on that yeah i mean we're we're about to hand it over to 1091 media um and there's usually a 45 day minimum delivery window uh because it's got to go to itunes and amazon and all that um but they're they're a pretty legitimate company i mean they're a sub branch of orchard which is a sub branch itself of sony um so they you know they say that they like to specialize in the quote conspiracy movies but um you know, at the same time, like they have, they're still in business and they're doing pretty well with it. So, and I mean, they, and they approached us. That's the thing. Like they saw the trailer, the teaser trailer that came out and they were like, they emailed me directly, which is strange. Um, but they emailed me and they were like, Hey, you know, uh, what's up with seven? Like, we'd like to maybe acquire it. Cause I mean, honestly, like we were probably just going to dump it on YouTube, but even if we did, like, there's no guarantee it would stay up. Um, mm. so it's nice that 1091 reached out to us cause we have a chance of getting some legitimate distribution. And I mean, maybe it'll wind up on Netflix. I highly doubt it. Um, but 1091 does have the ability to get that done. So I would say around November, November sounds about right. You know? Well, that's fantastic. We'll definitely keep an eye out for that. And, and, um, you know, we look forward to seeing it and, you know, thanks so much Dylan again for, for joining us and, uh, you know, all the work you've done over the years and, um, you know, keep it up. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Great chatting with you. Well, thanks for listening folks. And that was Dylan Avery, the creator of loose change and seven. And uh, he actually has his first feature coming out. Uh, they're in the process of working on it right now, as you heard, finishing up 
editing and getting through a first cut, but we look forward to seeing that and everything else that Dylan has coming up in the future. Uh, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on Spotify and Podbean. And if you want to become a patron and support more interviews like that and cool videos and projects for Jackman Radio, go to patreon.com slash Jackman Radio. You can find us on all social media, on Twitter, Facebook. Say hi to me on Instagram to my account at Senator Jackman. And we appreciate you listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>